Good evening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we want to look tonight at the theme of speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I've always wondered how much scripture I actually have in my memory and how much you have in yours. If we had our Bibles confiscated, how much would we still be able to quote? How much truth would we be able to use? A number of years ago, when I was sort of exploring the hobby of shortwave radio, I tuned into a station and the speaker seemed to be speaking very slowly. And I couldn't understand why on earth anybody would speak English at that speed, only to discover as I listened to the end of the broadcast that it actually was scripture that he was reading. And there were people I trust in remote areas who were actually recording or writing down the truth behind barriers that were restricted. Quite amazing, isn't it? The New Testament assumes that we are doing something with the book of Psalms. Not that we've just heard a bunch of sermons on Psalms, not that we know how to find it. I always thought as a, you know, when you got one of those Gideon New Testaments that Psalm came after Revelation, but that's where it was in my little, little red New Testament. Anybody, anybody get one of those? Right, you get confused, then you get a real Bible when you get whatever grade in class, and all of a sudden the, the, the Psalms moved. Nothing else moved, but Psalms moved. And, you know, and, you're, and if you're really fortunate, you got one of those really good Bibles, you can sort of go, well, well it doesn't work for mine. But anyway, it's typically in the middle of the Bible. But the New Testament assumes that we know the Psalms and are using the Psalms. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to an entire church. He's, entire, he's, he's directing his instruction to entire body of believers, and he begins there in verse 18 by saying to them, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is out-of-control living. That's another way of translating that word. Instead, be filled with a spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul assumes and challenges these believers, all of them, not just the pastors, not just the Sunday school teachers, although there was no Sunday school in the early church. That came about in the late 1700s as Robert Rakes tried to bring education into the, the slums of London in order to help and improve the lives of uh, some of those kids who were being misused and mistreated in terms of some of the child labor practices uh, even in England in the late 18th century. But here, Paul is exhorting, he is challenging these believers to take the truth they have and to speak it into each other's lives. Take psalms. So I wonder, how many psalms do we actually have at our disposal? I know we have 150 in the book, but most of us, anybody know Psalm 23? Anybody not know Psalm 23? <laughs> right, that's one of those psalms you could start off at just about anywhere and people can recite along with you. In fact, many probably learned it out of the King James, right? Help me out for a minute. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That wasn't too hard, was it? Right? Again, some of us learned it that language. Others of you have worked on the NIV or another more modern translation. And again, it's, it's one of those psalms that probably has had more than its share of attention. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Not only did Paul write Ephesians, but at the very same time, while he is in prison in Rome, he writes to another church. Not that far away, not, but in the same area, modern-day Turkey, and he is writing to them, and the same themes have preoccupied his mind. The same themes under the direction of the Holy Spirit, have captured him. And so in Colossians chapter 3, reflecting and again challenging an entire congregation, he says to them, he encourages them, let or allow or permit the word of Christ to dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and notice, as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in Ephesians, the control of the Holy Spirit within a congregation, what a spirit-filled congregation looks like is they know how to use truth. They take truth that the Holy Spirit has inspired and guided and they have embedded it in their hearts so they are ready to encourage each other they're ready to speak truth they're ready to make music in your heart now some of us honestly do a better job making music in our heart than in you know out loud right we don't want any microphone on us but that's okay because it's still joy it still comes out of a heart of praise and you can sense as you get close to a person who has music in their heart can't you 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 can sense a person who has, as it were, joy unspeakable, joy that's overflowing. It just, it just comes out. They can't hide it. You can't hide joy if it's true joy. And so the, 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 Paul is saying to these Christians in Ephesians, allow the Holy Spirit to control you. Be so under the control, just as formerly you would have been under the control of wine or alcohol, which leads to all kinds of uncontrolled behavior, Surrender yourself, submit yourselves to Jesus Christ, and allow the Holy Spirit to take the truth which He inspired, which He breathed into, because all Scripture is God breathed. Uh, 2 Timothy 3:16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God has breathed by His Spirit through the Old and New Testament, and it is profitable. It's useful. God's word is useful, and so we're to take it. And the Spirit of God will allow us, as, as he fills us, to take this truth, to speak it, and particularly Psalms. And then in Colossians 3, the parallel passage, as you have in front of you on the notes, is the, the, the Psalms, the singing of Psalms, the teaching and admonishing of truth, comes or is the result of permitting or allowing the Word of Christ to really be at home. How many of you have ever had a visitor in your home? Right? We've all had visitors. Hopefully, you've got a welcome mat. You know? It's quite a thing to have a welcome mat. Somebody comes to your door and you don't let them in. I mean, I mean what's, the, what's the point of the mat? 
So, and as you welcome them in, you usually say, what? Make yourself at home. You do something. And of course, the different generations who are here tonight, we'd, we'd offer different things to make people at home. But we want them to be comfortable. We want them to stay a while, not too long, right? We don't want to have to, you know, have a little family council and figure out a way to, you know, to, to, to evict them, uh, you know, out of our home. You know, they've overstayed their welcome, but we want them to just settle in. Join us. What a picture that is of allowing the word of Christ into our lives. Welcoming it. Permitting it to so saturate us that it affects every aspect of our being. That, that's a daily choice. So it's not simply the, the, the drill. It's not simply the drudgery, as it were, of having daily devotions. It's allowing the living Christ, the Lord of life and death, the one who conquered, the one who is our Savior, to speak truth into us. And all truth is God's truth. Now, look with me in Jonah. Look at the references here. Jonah, anybody heard a recent series on uh, on Jonah? You did hear that. Pastor uh, Rick beat me to the draw when he'd asked me if I would be responsible for, for some Sundays he asked me early on what are, you, what are you thinking of preaching on I said Jonah he said I'm already planning to do that so that's why I got left with Psalms no but I've enjoyed this challenge but I want you to notice in terms of allowing this is an Old Testament prophet here is an Old Testament leader who had his issues right we've learned a lot from that series of studies what a tremendous series as we were engaged with the rebellion and the struggle and the reluctance of this prophet to take the truth, to take the message of repentance and actually go to a foreign culture. He had to face up to his own prejudice. His hostility towards the enemies, namely the Assyrians, who didn't speak like he spoke, who didn't act like he talked, and who actually were going to conquer his own country. Back at home, if you know the story of Jonah, remember it's not that far back. Hopefully you remember a few things from those sermons Pastor Rick preached. But if you recall, back at home, Jonah was not being responded to. God's people didn't want to hear from God. God's people had turned their back on God. And God in his grace, God in his mercy said to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, population 120,000 plus, and preach against it. Give them an opportunity. I am a God of grace. I am a God of mercy. And of course, Jonah decided to do his own thing. But notice, despite the fact that he's a rebel, despite the fact that he you know, had to be brought pretty low, notice as you come to chapter 2, in fact, open your Bibles up, please, to Jonah chapter 2 as a really an Old Testament illustration of what we're driving at tonight, what we're aiming to look at. Here is a prophet who would have sung or would have heard these psalms as part of worship, as part of the corporate liturgy there in the temple. Even though Jonah was a northern prophet, as the Lord's man, as the Lord's spokesman, he probably would have sung through all 150. Now, if you've been singing long enough, there are some lines from songs that stick. Those of us who are parents have had kids who listen to a song on the radio and it just sticks in their head and they go around the house doing what? Singing the same thing. 
over and over and over again. Why? Because they like the song. It's a great tune. So what happens to Jonah? You have been saturated for years and years back in your own country with Scripture. You've heard, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You've heard, declare his glory among the nations. You've heard, salvation is of the Lord. What happens then when you have to pray inside a great fish without lights? You know, you don't, you're, you're not in, checking into the, the Assyrian hotel and you find a, a Gideon Bible in the drawer. As far as I know, if, unless I'm misreading the story, he's inside a fish. And I don't think he brought his Bible, just, just, just saying. So what comes to your mind when you have an opportunity to pray? What will you say to God now that God sort of has your attention? Out of the belly, look at Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. I guess we can pray anywhere, can't we? Don't say you can't pray. You don't have time to pray. If you can pray inside a fish, you can pray, you know, first thing in the morning, late at night on a bike ride, whatever you're doing. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. You listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord." What do we learn from that? The scriptures, the Psalms, had saturated the heart of Jonah. You try, I've just given you a few examples just to get us launched tonight, but you try and trace the bits and pieces of the Psalms that are embedded into this prayer. You're in the dark. You're in a fish. How do you pray? You pray what you remember. You pray the truth that is there. The truth that has embedded. You see, not all the truth that you and I have been exposed to has embedded itself. Why not? Help me out. Why is the truth, you can answer now, I'm waiting for an answer. Why is the truth, we've heard lots, anybody heard some truth? I hope so in this place. We've heard a lot of truth. Why has, not, why has all the truth not embedded itself in my heart, in my life? Some of the answers. Oh, I couldn't be in a church like this, right? Not paying attention, he says. Other answers. Not, want, not wanting to hear truth? Did someone say that? Wow. Third answer. Yeah, your heart's too full of other things. Absolutely. Great text in Hebrews that compares the, the New Testament believers and the Old Testament said they also had the gospel preached to them as we did. The word which they heard did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. 
the, the parable of the soils. What happened to that seed? Remember a, a sower, Jesus said, went forth to sow. And of course, he didn't have a big industrial you know, tractor and piece of industrial equipment to sow. He had seed in his hand, and he was throwing it along his farm. What happened to the seed by the wayside, by the seed along the path? Help me out. It wasn't that long ago we heard parables, did it? What happened to that seed that landed on the path? Birds came, right? Birds came and, and stole it away. That was lunch for the birds. What did Jesus say that illustrated? The seed is the word of God. And as the sower, as the seed falls on the ground, th these are those people who hear the word of God, and what happens? Help me out, fill me in the detail, remind me of some Sunday school class I had on parables 100 years ago. Absolutely. Y you don't respond to truth, you only have a limited time to respond to truth. You hear a sermon, you have a Bible study, you have the most fantastic conference, whatever you're at, if you don't respond, if you don't act on that truth, the devil himself comes along, takes it, that opportunity's gone. That's why we pray for the response. As we respond, the, the, one of the most crucial times for us as a congregation is following the hearing of God's word or as we're hearing it. I can disrupt people around me so they don't act upon God's word. I can be distracted in my response. And instead of engaging with the Holy Spirit, I'm more concerned about, you know, are we going to Swiss Chalet or are we going to Burger King? The word which they heard did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. Here in Jonah's life, you have this embedding of truth. Despite the fact, he still has issues. Anybody still has some issues they've got to settle in their lives? Anybody got it all figured out? Through church history, there have been teachers who have taught what is called total sanctification. You can reach a state of absolute holiness here on earth. Oh, I'd love to believe that. I just know it's not true. I'm to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have more growing to do with God's grace. I have more learning to do. I have more scripture to line up with. I need to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, deceiving myself. So what I want us to do tonight, because I think you've heard, some of you at least picked up bits and pieces of Psalm 1, 2, and 3, let's go back and take a look at these scriptures. Take a look at these passages, and I want us to encourage one another to speak truth into each other's lives. Because we're called upon by God to speak to one another. As we allow the word of God to dwell in us, let's review let's use these passages the book of psalms are they're, they're, they're just a tool a, you know, a whole collection of praises to god prayers to god guidance for times of perplexity we've seen that over and over again and will in the coming weeks and and psalms guide us and have been provided by the holy spirit to restore our worship we don't know how to worship as we ought to. What did Jesus say? It's amazing how Jesus used that opportunity, so personalized, he asked the woman at the well for what? Just a drink. And he led her to Christ. 
And in the process of the conversation in John chapter 4, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must, which means it's necessary, it's absolutely necessary, must worship him in spirit and in truth. I would challenge you tonight that the Psalms have been given to us. Turn back, please, to Psalm 1 if you're not there. The Psalms have been given to us to restore us in our worship, to restore our praise to what it should be, to restore our prayer to what it should be. We we can learn how to pray in praise. Unlike the other 65, the 65 other books, the, the Psalms were designed to be sung and recited and engaged in corporately. This is corporate worship. It's remarkable. I'm a great church history uh, buff, and it's amazing in church history, in the 18th century, the 1700s, the centrality of the Psalms shifted as the church moved to hymn singing. Now, I've been at churches, I've been churches in the U.S. that only sing psalms, and they sing them unaccompanied. Quite a remarkable experience of worship. I'm not into stir up worship wars, I'll leave that to the other pastors to handle. I, I, I really believe we, there is a variety, even in Ephesians 5, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's variety even in the New Testament. But something has happened through the history of the church where God's praise book it has been set aside I think even personally we may have shifted it to the side set it aside when it's designed by God to call us to higher praise higher prayer so one of the, one of the burdens and one of the, uh, the passions I have in this series is to engage you in a strategy to pick up this book again Get a plan. Some of you read through Proverbs. Some of you have a plan of reading through that one a day, 31 chapters. Or Psalms, maybe five a day. You get, get through all 150. But build, the, build these truths into your life. Because Psalms not only help us and guide us in worship, but are used by God in spiritual formation. One author said, Psalms are an emotional handbook for personal use. Long before psychology was a discipline, long before psychology was a field of study, God's people spoke to one another, spoke truth, offered counsel, as, as uh, Paul suggests in both Ephesians and Colossians, as you teach and admonish one another, as you instruct each other. You are admonishing me, I'm admonishing you. We're encouraging each other to do what? Go forward with God. Line up with God because the reality is you can easily get off track. Heard a remarkable illustration of a a flight engineer discussing with just a regular passenger on on a flight in the U.S. He said to him, if if one of those spacecraft like the Challenger and others that have gone into uh, parts of our space uh, and our our system, if, if they're off even one degree, does it make a difference? Those of you who have much more scientific and, and uh, mechanical thinking can understand and could explain to us the huge distance from the target that that challenger will face by being off one degree, by being just slightly off track, slightly off 
pattern, slightly off plane. So let's look tonight at Psalm 1. We'll see how far we get in this because we've said in our morning study and in an introduction to these uh, psalms that the psalms teach us who God is, how God has communicated with us, and how we may communicate with him. And if we can capture those three truths in each psalm, I think we have something to share with each other. Because in summary, Psalm one is all about scripture the 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 reference point the big issue let's just take one issue that's enough for each psalm for tonight The, the 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 big issue in psalm one is what is your relationship with scripture your your engagement with scripture reflects whether or not you are godly or wicked it's just it's it's a it's a huge contrast isn't it in this opening psalm this introduction to the entire book so let's read uh, psalm 1 let's read it together and then let's briefly review and and encourage one another speak some truth into each other's lives as we uh, engage in this tonight so would you join me please psalm 1 blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1. Help me out. What does this text teach us about God? What are the attributes or characteristics of God portrayed for us in this psalm? Who is God, according to this opening introductory psalm? Help me out. You have to speak up good and loud. Pardon? He's the giver of the law. Thank you. He has a law. He has a standard there in verse 2. It's his standard. Thank you. Someone else. He watches over. He supervises, and he watches over particularly the way of the righteous. He is tracking with the righteous. He knows all things about the righteous, and he supervises their lives and tracks with them and provides for them. God has communicated in his word. He's a communicator. He has a law, and he watches over that's it but that's enough isn't it that's sufficient God may only be known by devotion a commentary a commentator in the fourth century wrote those words God may only be known by devotion in other words 
If you are not devoted to him, if you are not engaged in devotion to him, you don't know God. God may only be known by, devo by devotion. To be unknown to the Lord is to perish. The way of the wicked, verse 6, will perish. To be known by the Lord is to remain in fellowship with him and experience his blessing. It's that simple. It's that plain. It's that difficult. Because the one area where the enemy of our souls would love to keep us away or distort our understanding is God's word. If he can keep you from the Bible, if he can keep you from engaging with truth, you have no connection with God because this is his law. This is his word. How does God communicate? Well, there's overlap with this. How has God communicated with us? Through his word. He has spoken. We have it. It's been preserved. Uh, study church history and see the valiant attempts of men and women throughout 2,000 years to destroy this book bonfires in England it really wasn't that many centuries ago when there were bonfires made of Bibles when the Bible was considered a banned book read Operation Andrew and God's Smuggler and the efforts to get the Bible into countries where it was banned now in China it's amazing Bibles being printed that's the, that's the power of God's word God has communicated to us through his word. How may we communicate with him? There's one issue. Do you delight in the word? How gripped are you by God's word? I would suggest even Jonah was gripped by it. Not completely, not perfectly. We all know the story. But it had grabbed him in some way, had it not? It had penetrated past his rebellion, past his personal prejudice, past his his, his stubborn heart, it was still there. And when he was inside that belly of the fish in the darkness of that place, the Spirit of God brought back to his mind what was there. He cannot, listen, the Holy Spirit cannot bring back to our minds nothing. Empty. If you've not put it in, there's nothing there. It's like a marathon runner who says, oh, you know, I know other, other runners think it's important what you eat, but I'm going to skip meals. So the first part of the maybe he's ahead. You know, he's been fasting. He's great. He gets out of the gate, first of all, and he's running down, the, and all of a sudden he runs out of energy. Oh, I should have eaten breakfast. Maybe I should have had a few carbs. Maybe I should have had a little nutrition. Spiritually, has that happened to you? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On to Psalm 2. And again, this just introduce this and engage you with it so that you would commit yourself. My prayer is that you would engage and commit yourself to a fresh approach of using truth with others. Allowing the Holy Spirit to, first of all, speak to you. You you cannot speak to others. You have nothing to say unless God's first talked into your heart. But allow, would you tonight, 
by grace, in obedience, if you're a believer in Christ, welcome the word of Christ into your heart in a fresh way. Listen, there are parts of the world tonight that still don't have the Bible. Track with me, read missionary biographies, and see the joy in the hearts of tribes who get their very first Bible. They are ecstatic. God's word in a language we understand. We've got so many Bibles. Our, our, you know, we've got ones that are collecting dust at home. So Psalm 2. The issue in Psalm 1 is Scripture. What is your engagement with Scripture? What's the issue in Psalm 2? One issue. Help me out. Anybody hear a sermon in Psalm 2 recently? Rebellion, and particularly against? Against God, and, and even more? Develop that further? Who is, who is the key person in Psalm 2? It's the Son. Now, we know him to be Jesus, who is called the Christ. It's the anointed one, verse 2 against his anointed one verse 6 my king he's spoken of verse 7 my son verse 12 the son your spiritual health is measured not only by your engagement with scripture but by your engagement and service and interest in the son kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. So, what does this psalm teach us, first of all, about God? That's the big issue. Ver we, we, we looked at this last week and saw these four stanzas, these four stanzas or verses of this particular psalm of prayer and praise. In verses 1 to 3, what attributes, what characteristics of God are portrayed. That, that actually that has stirred up the rebellion. What do the nations not like about God? You're going to have to think it through and apply it. What, 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 what is driving the nations crazy about God? Help me a little louder. They don't like his laws. God has standards. God has standards, and they want to get rid of them. All right? Verses 4 through 6. What attribute, what characteristics of God are portrayed here? What's the issue that allows God, what's the characteristic of God that allows him simply to laugh and scoff at these puny little world powers who are shaking their fist at them. What's the attribute of God that, we, that we're taught, taught about here? His sovereignty and his wrath. He, he rebukes them in his anger. Who's in charge of the world? It's not the nations. It, it, it frustrates me when I, when I listen to the news, although you, you expect this among unbelievers. When you hear the news, how do the, how do the newscasters close off their broadcast at night? We'll see you tomorrow night. What, do we know, what, what reality do we know about that statement? Lord willing. Lord willing. You don't know if they'll even be here tomorrow night. 
Listen, God's children can make plans without God as well. You don't know if your plans will be accomplished. You do not know if God will permit you to accomplish those goals. You had the words, Lord willing. That's why you pray. That's why you make sure you engage with God. Here are nations trying to make plans and they want to get rid of God. Believers don't want to get rid of God, do they? They don't want to shake off God's fetters. They find security. It's, it's remarkable. The, the, the people who are in bondage in our world shake their chains and say, we're free, right? And those of us who've been chained by Christ, we are free. Agreed? Amen? If the Son will make you free, you are free indeed. And you're freed because you're captured. Well, that doesn't make sense. Read through the Bible and trace that theme. All right, the next stanza. Verses 7 through 9. What truth about God? What attributes? A couple of attributes here. First of all, there in verse 7, God exists in more than one person. You are my son. There is a father and a son. The Trinity, for our Jewish friends, is not a New Testament idea. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us plural make man in our image so there's a suggestion and there's a indication even here that the that god exists in more than one person and he may be known another attribute another truth about god in this relationship between the father and the son Verse 8 and 9. What truth do we learn here? What is the Father willing to give the Son? Whatever he asks. If he asks for the nations, the nations are going his way. This is long before Matthew 28. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the fulfillment. That's the answer. That's the demonstration that Christ has conquered. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he is Lord. And one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then the final stanzas. Stanza there, verse 10 through 12. What attribute of God? What characteristics of God are portrayed in, these fin- in, this, in this final stanza? First of all, in verse 11, he may be served. God may be served. The Lord may be served. And his lightning rod, his watershed issue for us to determine whether we're rightly related to him or not is settled with one question. What is your relationship with Jesus? How are you engaged with Christ? If you're not engaged with Christ, don't call yourself a Christian. Kiss the Son. This is an appeal to foreign leaders, to rebellious kings. Kiss the Son. 
lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way for his wrath can flare up in a moment. So what use? Let's just stop with these tonight as we close. What, what use might we make out of Psalm, Psalms 1 and 2? Here's what I'm asking. At what point, what kind of situation in your life or my life might engage me in taking truth, in opening truth and speaking it to you or you speaking it to me? What's the issue back in Psalm 1? It's the word. So what issue might you be concerned about in my life that would cause you maybe even to sit beside me after a service and say, let's let's just open Psalm 1. I've been praying for you. How is it going with the word? What delight are you finding? What has God been teaching you? That's not a bad question to ask each other, is it? What do you do when you can't sleep? Count sheep. Wrong answer. <laughs> Engaging each other, spurring each other on. What, what plan is working for you? Do you ever find difficulty maintaining the consistency of your time in God's word? Yes. Could I help you with that? Because I've been struggling with that too, and maybe we could be accountability partners. We could pray for each other and engage each other, so we're asking, what are you learning? Every day we'll send each other a text message or a tweet or whatever, 140 characters. What, what kind of truth can you put on 140 characters? It's a challenge, isn't it? Maybe you could put something edifying on Facebook. Now, that'd be different, wouldn't it? Let's use it. Let's use the means that God has provided, but to engage each other with truth. Psalm 2, as we close, at, on what occasions... Might our relationship with the Son be in difficulty? What issues in our life might turn us away from Jesus who is called the Christ? Isn't that the core issue that the devil goes after? If he can turn us away from Jesus, if he can put barriers between us and and cause us to find more delight in the world than in Christ, he's got us. And so we ask each other, how is it with you in Christ? What is your relationship? Are you a diligent seeker of God? What has the Son of God, what does the Son of God mean to you? How are you serving the Lord with fear? How are you rejoicing with trembling? I challenge you tonight that by God's grace, with the help of the Holy Spirit, this book can come alive to us in new ways. And we have a right, listen, we have a responsibility with each other, not simply to say, well, wasn't that a fine sermon or a decent study or whatever we were part of and think, that was interesting, take notes, close, the, close our Bibles, close our notes, and go home. No, we stay current with the truth. We don't want to let this opportunity pass as we seek to engage in God's word. Would you stand together with me as we close in prayer? And as I pray and commit ourselves and commit each of us, because it's an individual commitment, I can't decide for you, you can't decide for me, I want you to join as well in praying with us tonight for Pastor John from Ritson Road Alliance. The church there, the daughter of one of the elders, spoke to us after the morning service, and she pled with us that we would hold him up before God. He has had a very difficult turn later this past week. They've called for special prayer. 
at Ritson Road. He went in with a brain hemorrhage, if I'm correct on that. So would you remember him and join me in praying for him and for his family and for that congregation? And if any of you know people from Ritson Road Alliance, would you encourage them that we are praying and standing with them as their shepherd is in the care and hands of the good shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray that we might be more engaged with it, that we would not simply hear it, we would not deceive ourselves into thinking we know something when we're not obeying it. We pray, Lord, that day after day, week after week, month after month, we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to find great delight in your word. We pray that you would help us as well in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is your son. He is our Savior. We pray, Father, as we conclude this summer and head into the fall that you would help us to, to fall in love with Jesus all over again, to commit our lives to him, to live for him, and, and to say, Lord, I, I lay me down. I'm not my own. Lord, we, we just long to see you glorified in each of our lives. And as we're bowed in your presence, oh, Father, we pray that you would be gracious to Pastor John. We pray that your people there at Ritson Road Alliance might know your presence Oh, Christ, you are the good shepherd. You lay down your life for the sheep. Comfort these, your people, in this time of challenge. Bring healing. Bring grace. Remind them of your care. Let them not feel abandoned. May the enemy not gain any territory. Through this test and trial, we pray for his family. We just entrust them to you tonight and pray that they would prove that your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in weakness. Lord, that is a great mystery, but it's true. And we hold on with them to your promise and pray that in all these things, your great name would be magnified, the name of Jesus Christ would be honored, the medical community, the doctors, the nurses, the technicians who are caring for him would be deeply impacted even by visitors who come to bring encouragement and support to this family in need. Lord, we cast all of ourselves I pray again for the number of people today who, who indicated the strain of family tension. And we pray that you would pour into their lives by your grace, by your spirit, what is needed. Grant wisdom through the perplexity. Grant grace to go on. Grant faith to trust you when the way is dark. And help all of us, we pray, to use our time, our talent, our abilities for your glory. Protect us now and guide us in our response to what you've said to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.